trying to guess your middle name. I thought it was someone like Mary. <laughs> Mad Dog. <laughs> but middle name is very much not Mary. <laughs> is it Mad Dog? <laughs> <laughs> but what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Welcome to episode 146 of the Nerdfest podcast. This week's nerds are John Farley, Ian Mayer, Peter Johnson, Andy Chandler, and Hazel Mad Dog Chandler. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. On today's show, we have some brilliant recommendations for you. We're going to discuss the killer fingernails. That's a crossover, the killer fingernails. Anatomy of a Fall, 007 Road to a Million, and for flirking's sake, the Marvels. So let's start the show. It's a warm welcome back to Ian Mayer. I have two questions for you. Okay. How are you and how many days to go? I am fine. I am not vibrating with excitement. <laughs> and there are five days <gasps> to go. So by the time this podcast comes out, you'll be a puddle on the floor. Absolutely. I will be. I'll have gone the way I wanted to go, which is <laughs> melting into nothingness while mm. watching a live-action Godzilla TV show there on Apple go. Plus. Oh. This is Monarch, this is big monsters thing. Monarch Legacy of Monsters. It's coming. It's happening. As are you. I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's come. Um, no, it's, it's, Clean up an aisle four. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's right. I mean, whoa. Yeah. There's whoa. Right. So right now, right this minute. There are two Godzilla things in the world that I haven't seen. There is Godzilla Minus One, which is the 1954 set Toho Godzilla film, which had its premiere in Japan uh, a couple of days ago, is going to be out in America on December, I want to say 5th, but more importantly in the UK on December 15th. It's been called a masterpiece. It's been called the best Godzilla film. I mean, all of these things were by you. By you, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I, I... you yeah what like (laughs) big monster big there's a big monster the original godzilla was came out in 1954 1954 set like japan dealing with post-war trauma in the only way it was allowed to which is using the metaphor of giant dinosaur for atomic war this time around no such restrictions a very well regarded filmmaker by all accounts gonna be great and we have the live action godzilla tv show uh, Mm. co-written by a comics writer called matt fraction who wrote the Hawkeye comic that the Hawkeye TV show was based on and is also oh. executive producer of that. Someone told me it stars a famously grumpy old dinosaur and I thought that's not a nice way to talk about Kurt Russell. <laughs> oh, Yeah, Kurt and Wyatt Russell playing the same character mm. in different times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's happening. Embrace my worldview. Monsters are here. The Monarch trailer looks very good, so I'm very excited for that. And uh, I love a Godzilla movie. And I think Minus One looks interesting. I think Minus One looks amazing. I'm excited for uh, Monarch as well, but the one little reservation I have, don't attack me, is that uh, the Americans pronounce it Monarch. Admittedly, this is a petty reservation, and that might annoy me. As opposed to Monarch? Monarch. You're just going to have to get past that. Just grit your teeth. Have you ever missed flights out of airports in America because you refuse to accept the pronunciation of the airline? <laughs> no, that's not my flight. <laughs> Say it properly. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm stranded. Y- yes, several times. Yeah. 
and uh, incarcerated once. <laughs> the the principal one in the end. Yeah. <laughs> so we are in like peak big monster season. It's amazing. We've had the Gamera TV show. Have you peaked? <laughs> Just when I think I cannot peak anymore, <laughs> something else comes mm-hmm. along. Um, yeah, and we also have got um, Godzilla X Kong out next year, which is the next like big budget American. Godzilla does what to Kong? Godzilla X Kong. I thought you, yeah. I thought it said X Con like he'd been to jail. I yeah, just imagine there was X-Con. not He's a jail big enough to hold Godzilla. <laughs> He's covered in tattoos. I, I thought it was Godzilla's X Kong like they dated. That's you know, what in I the thought. Yeah. So gap between the films in in a lot of fandoms and in fanfic writing, if you see the names something X something, it means they fuck. <laughs> now, yeah. I don't believe that's the way <laughs> New Line have gone with this particular film, but we'll we'll see how we go. They've made a lot of films now. They must be running out there have of been ideas. Thirty-three Godzilla films. Are oh, you counting the American ones? Yeah, rank them all now, please. Say, let's have a Halloween-style rundown. <laughs> Just, of all of them. I, I, I shouldn't, and don't tempt me. <laughs> <laughs> What's the worst Godzilla film? Um, opinions divided. Uh, a lot of people say Godzilla Raids again, which was the second one uh, out in 1955. But there's been quite a few stinkers, to be honest. <laughs> I was sat down with Louise and we watched. Destroy All Monsters. Mm -hmm. A classic. Yeah, and she was like, well, if that's the best one, I don't need to see any of the others. (laughs) (laughs) Sick bird. But yeah, big monsters. Be happy for me. It's it's, it's happening. I'm happy for you. Thank you very much. Yeah. All right, should we do some recommendations? Yes, please. I think we should save the Marvels till last. So you can sit and bite your tongue until then. Well, you, you've got uh, fingernails, which I'm intrigued by because I, yeah. I kind of quite liked the idea of the film. Okay. But I'm here about fingernails being removed. Okay. So I want to know whether this is something I can watch or not. So my recommendation is a new movie which is available both in cinemas and on Apple TV, and that is called Fingernails. It is sitting in the niche genre of sci-fi romance. It stars Jesse Buckley... Riz Ahmed and Jeremy Allen White, who I'm reliably informed is some kind of bear. He is, yes. Okay, excellent. Whoa. <laughs> He's on the bear. Oh, okay. <laughs> he is the bear. You familiar? Is he bearing the film? Is he what? Is he bear at any point in the film? Do we get to see a naked white? He is in the shower. Oh. Mm. I don't really know when this film is set because I don't say, but it looks fairly present day-ish. But some of the technology they actually use looks 1970s, so maybe it's an alternative timeline kind of thing. The central plot is that scientists have discovered a way to measure whether two people are actually in love or not, via the means of analysing their fingernails. Not one of those love tester fair crowned machines. Kind of is. <laughs> kind of is. Yeah. Ah. So they measure after the fingernails have been ripped off from their owners oh. with a pair of pliers. So it's the test for, unless you really love someone, you wouldn't agree to have that done in the first place. Um, <laughs> well, well, we'll get to that. Luke Wilson is the founder of the Love Institute, which invites couples to go through a series of tests and exercises, including jumping out of a plane together, being set on fire in the middle of a cinema, and singing show tunes to each other in French. Bluff. the final test of course is this fingernail compatibility test so yes the couples part with their pinkies and then the fingernails get thrown into what can only be described as a retro microwave the microwave then has three possible outcomes 0% so neither of the two are in love 
50%, one of them is, but there's no way of telling which one. Mm. And 100%, both people are in love. Jessie Buckley plays Anna, who is a former teacher who is in love with the idea of love. And she takes a job at the Love Institute to learn more about how love supposedly works. Her boyfriend is Ryan, played by Jeremy Allen White, the bear. But he seems more interested in dull-sounding documentaries than her. Andy. <laughs> <laughs> that is harsh. Supposedly, though, they, they are soulmates because they got 100% in the fingernails test. Then Anna meets Amir, an instructor who works at the Love Institute, and they strike up a gentle but lovely connection, which throws Anna into confusion because surely the fingernails test can't be wrong, can it? It is quite an odd film, and its central concept will not be for everybody, but I found this really, really charming and quite funny in places. It reminded me a little bit of Severance without the intense feeling of dread because it's played really, really straight and everyone is very truthful to their characters and to the situation. I do think that it would be a lesser film if it wasn't for those three actors taking on the main roles because they play them with such a softness and genuineness, is that a word? It is now, that I became really, really engrossed into their storylines. The central message of the film seems to be that love isn't necessarily something that you can measure with the fingernail and you know it does have a a deepness to this film and you you, just because you pass some kind of love test doesn't mean that you can take your partner for granted so it's a very truthful one it's quite a zany original premise but it's a tale as all the time as well so yeah i really enjoyed it it's very different is it overly wacky it's very straight very straight it's played for real because ah, I can imagine a terrible version of that directed by Taika Waititi or somebody. <laughs> or, uh, and how graphic is the fingernail removal? Mostly you just see the people sort of grimacing in pain and biting down on a wooden stick. And you sort of see the pliers approach the fingernails. Um, <laughs> you don't see them actually being displaced from their owner's. But it still, it, it does kind of get that sense mm-hmm. of like, like, I think like even talking about it, John, I'm like, ah. considering the movies you watch normally and what gets done to people, they yeah, get no. their skin taken off them, they get eyeballs gouged out with a spoon. Just a weird thing I don't like. I don't yeah. know. You know, everyone, does it, do people have like weirdly specific things that give them the ick in films well, and Ian stuff? Ian has like a thing about eyeballs, doesn't he? So mm-hmm. saying even just watching someone take their contacts out or something. Yeah. yeah. Makes him throw up. Yeah. I mean, like, removing fingernails is what, like, it, it, people do that for torture. Mm. It is mm. a horrific thing to do, um, which is why it's such an interesting thing to throw it into a romance film. Because they're not just taking clipping. No. I have two questions. Okay. Does Jeremy Allen White shit in the woods? <laughs> <laughs> not on screen. Okay. Secondly. Okay. Do they not ever use, you know, that red fish thing you used to get in Christmas crackers? Mm-hmm. As a love, do they ever use that as a love tester in the film? I mean, that's just as accurate. <laughs> well, there you go. Because yeah. that's the only scientifically accurate way I know Yeah, to, to a certain <laughs> extent, it's not about the mechanism that you use to measure love. It's how the two people genuinely feel about each other and how they use the results of the test as part of their relationship. So it could be the fingernail test, it could be the fish, whether the, the head curls up or the tail curls up. Mm-hmm. It's how you interpret those results. Would you do the test? 
Absolutely fucking not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but right, because know, you don't need to. Because yeah. yes. both, you know, you, you are secure in your love yeah. and you don't but want it, your fingernail removed. It also <laughs> doesn't matter because you should always continue to work on your relationship. Never take it for granted. And to a certain extent, that's what the bear does. He was like, right, nailed it, got 100%, passed it. And now have to just, you know, just be here and never you know, treat your partner particularly well. To be fair to him, though, the documentary about what type of grass and elk like <laughs> to eat best did look engrossing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I assume this film won't be on movie because the audience would be too self-aware whilst watching it. <laughs> no, but you, you watched this as well. What did you like? Yeah, I, I liked it. I would give it a mild recommendation. Um, I think the premise is really interesting. Riz Ahmed and uh, Jesse Buckley, both excellent. Their blossoming relationship is very sweet. Very sweet. Um, it's very nice. I felt that th- they deliberately went for a grab office environment style aesthetic, kind of like Severance, but not mm. heightened in that way. It was actually quite a realistic drab brown office. Mm. And there were some things in it that were maybe a little bit silly, a bit wacky, that felt a bit incongruous given the, uh, the, the realistic looking setting. I felt like it could have done with being a bit more wacky and a bit more silly, mm. leaning into some of the daft stuff. There were some jokes in it that felt like they were going for kind of awkward, quirky and just came off as a bit stilted. Um, so I didn't, didn't love it, but there's, there's plenty of interesting stuff in there. And fans of Schitt's Creek will enjoy a really nice little cameo as well. So is it, is it a comedy or would no, you say it's more... it's a... not a comedy. It's a drama romance mm-hmm. set in a sci-fi world. Where is it available? Is it cinema or...? Apple, it's on, it is in cinemas, uh, but it's also Apple TV+. And uh, how many fingernails pulled off of a pair of pliers whilst you're screaming agony out of ten? <laughs> um, I'll go for seven, so I've got three left. You've got three left. Yeah. <laughs> Andy, would you be a seven as well, or maybe? I felt six. Should we go? Think of the money you save on nail polish, though. I don't spend any money on nail polish at the moment. Oh. <laughs> you might as well keep them. Then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's go with The Killer next, shall we? My recommendation here is The Killer, which is a film that is currently available on Netflix. It's a uh, David Finch film, so, you know, has a very like high director pedigree with a screenplay by Andrew Kevin Walker, who uh, has worked with Finch before, notably on Seven. And it's adapted from a French graphic novel series called The Killer, written by um, a guy who goes by Matt and illustrated by uh, Luc Jacquemont. So Netflix's own description of this film is solitary, cold, methodical and unencumbered by scruples or regret. A killer waits in the shadows, watching for his next target. Yet the longer he waits, the more he thinks he's losing his mind, if not his cool. And that's how the film starts. It goes like much further than that. But basically, uh, Fastbender is a killer with a name that's never revealed. He has numerous fake personalities, passports, names. Ridiculously named. <laughs> oh yeah, ridiculous names. Like Archie Bunker and so on. He, he picks names from pop culture uh, generally. And he has a job to shoot a guy, which as a professional assassin, you do. (laughs) This goes wrong. And the rest of the film is him kind of dealing with the consequences of this. I mean, that's a story that's been done a lot of times. It really is. Mm -hmm. And I think what makes this interesting is kind of two things. One, it's done entirely from the perspective of Fassbender's character, who is delivering an internal monologue 
as the film goes on. He's in every single scene. There's nothing I you see that, yeah. which is not outside of his view. Secondly, it deals with the kind of mundanity of this life you have to adopt to successfully get away with this stuff in a way where it becomes kind of like an anti-James Bond. So it's a globe-trotting assassin story where you basically see the shittier part of the world in each bit mm -hmm. he goes to. The first hit, like, the you know, the very start of it, he's been waiting for days just staring out of a window, waiting for an opportunity to kill someone. He's trying to maintain a kind of routine. He's trying to maintain his concentration and struggling with it. It starts in Paris with this first job, but again, and it's quite, you know, it's pretty and it's Paris, but you just see oh, like... some the, shitty parts of Paris. Well, yeah. And he, is, he doesn't like, get to eat any French food. It's he McDonald's. Doesn't, he does McDonald's. <laughs> There's the Dominican Republic, which is kind of where his home base is. He also goes to New Orleans, Florida and Chicago. While listening to the Smiths, he listens to a lot of the Smiths. Mm. Almost their entire greatest hits yeah, album. Yeah, ab absolutely. So what we've learned by this is sociopaths listen to the Smiths. <laughs> um, it's an interesting film in that there's very few recognisable faces in it. It's actually quite a small cast. Fassbender, as I say, like pretty much fills the screen for most of it. The only other actor I recognised was Tilda Swinton, who mm. plays quite a small role as another assassin the execution of the film i think is superb like fincher is a master filmmaker and when i started watching it, i felt this is a little bit slow you know as i say it's building on like the mundanity of what it takes to move around unseen to go from one place to another without leaving a trail and the boredom wears on him but as the film went on I kind of caught up with its pace and really took to it. It's interesting because the guy is earning like tons and tons of money for his crimes and doesn't seem to be enjoying any of it. It's so like why he's doing it is an interesting thing. It's an examination of a psychopath. I mean, basically of a functional psychopath. He constantly tells you it's all about the job. You won't take any risks. You just do what you paid for. And... He does seem to live by these principles, but he also constantly checks his pulse, which gets elevated quite a bit. So he's, he's just repressing his feelings and living mm. that way. If you can criticise the film, and I'm sure a lot, a lot of people won't take to it, is you don't really care if he wins because he's a horrible, horrible person. Mm. And they have him do some quite unsympathetic things as well, don't they? Absolutely. Oddly enough, it's kind of when he does something to the small people. Mm -hmm. that he yeah. feels wrong, whereas you're quite happy to accept him killing someone as an assassin's job because yeah. that's his job. Like giving royalties to Morrissey as well probably is quite high on the list of <laughs> Yeah, <crimes. laughs> But, you know, Porter said also gets shout out, so that's good. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's a very well put together film. It's a beautiful film. Fassbender reminds you why he's a movie star, which sometimes he doesn't. It is, in my mind, the anti-James Bond. One thing that always disappoint me about James Bond is watching James Bond growing up, it doesn't prepare you for the realities of international plane travel. Mm -hmm. Whereas this film really does. He sits there <laughs> on shitty planes, going to places, waiting, dealing with rental cars, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's this kind of secret world you don't see. It's, uh, yeah, I liked it. Though it did look beautiful, I was wondering whether it would turn out at the end that it was all made with a super tiny unit, you know, like mm. five or six people almost, and a director really knows his shit. But no, it wasn't. It was the usual sort of huge list at the end yeah. of about 200 people that were involved in making it. So that was a bit of a surprise. So this is an interesting one for me because I actually know the guy who wrote the comic. I worked with him a little bit and the character in the comic is clearly based on him. So this is like quite unusual. 
So if we want someone here, do we contact um, him through you? Is I that mean, how that works? <laughs> I guess. I mean, I just generally wish him happy birthday on Facebook. But uh, yeah, I'm sure I could do that. But like, um, <laughs> it is interesting because the character in the book is perhaps a little more human. He gets a little bit more annoyed at stuff. He's a bit pickier. He's um, a little bit more of a snob. And you see hints of that in the film. Like there's an amazingly bitchy line about New Orleans, which just says New Orleans, the city with 3000 restaurants and only one menu. And I found that, like, <laughs> but, you know, that kind of yeah. snark. Uh, actually, I would have liked a little bit more of. If you fancy, you know, a slow narrated movie about a psychopath changing number plates frequently and using <laughs> different passports, this is the movie. This is the movie it, it is quite procedural in that stuff. And I like that because I, yeah. I like knowing the mechanics oh. of doing things just if I want to consider a change of for, career. For sure. This film will teach you how to break into things if you're interested in that stuff. <laughs> mm. So, you know, why not? You're right. It does look beautiful. But actually, because there's so little dialogue, it also sounds great mm. they've done so much work on the soundscape itself and so much detail in it it is quite amazing and i mean i'm sure fassbender could talk you to sleep you know he's just oh. got so, quite a smooth voice and he's describing in great detail how he's doing things where he's doing the narration there's one two bits where he then gets interrupted by events happening in the scene yeah and i quite enjoyed that yeah, i thought yeah. that was fun absolutely i think yeah, that sounds really see, interesting it's just sound interesting but i'm just curious at what attracted david fincher to it if it's more of a by the numbers thing whereas in the early years of Fincher, it was, when it was seven, it was Fight Club. It was like movies that the, the plot lines were like, whoa, mm. like something you've never seen before. And the endings were always incredibly like surprising. Didn't see it anywhere. Whereas this one feels a little bit more generic. I'm going to be controversial here. And I think David Fincher is a high class director for hire almost nowadays. I don't think he's an auteur in the way that somebody like Christopher Nolan mm would be so he doesn't conceive the next project i think he makes very good genre films now but i don't think he has a massive authorial voice mm -hmm. in a way that if you see a christopher nolan film you know it's a christopher nolan i think david fincher is a very good technical director but i'm not sure he has that emotional heart in his films mm. you, you don't feel like this is something i've desperately been wanting to mm. make and Nobody else can make it. Probably still emotionally damaged from Alien 3. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> Does it have kind of a, a, an important story as well? Or is it just about the guy? There are bits that feel almost like a play where you do yeah. occasionally have people talk to each other. It is a very straightforward story and it is an analysis of one man. I couldn't say he changes through the course of the story, but that in itself is kind of the point. And he doesn't enjoy his life. This is, the, like, this is the other thing. There's no indication that he is enjoying what he does. So if that appeals, then... It you know, really does, because I'm sick to the back teeth of James Bond. They've <laughs> done enough of him. And the opposite of it sounds appealing. It almost reminds me of Haywire, which was a Soderbergh film, which came out of his pitch to do a James Bond some years back, which also has Michael Fassbender in, funnily enough. Does he at any point in the film join an acting class with the Fonz? He doesn't join an acting class with the fans now. He doesn't, and, and uh, his girlfriend doesn't get a TV show. At any point during the film... Okay. How many of these are we going to do? Does he meet his childhood sweetheart to a killer soundtrack? Uh, he doesn't go back to a childhood reunion no. and, you know... We, we could do this quiz all day. <laughs> so um, the, the films and TV shows referenced in the past moments were Barry, 
and uh, gross point blank. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Did anyone have an out of ten just to wrap this one up? How many bullets out of ten? Or how many royals with cheese out of ten? Uh, we'll go with bullets, and I'm going to go. I'm going to give it a seven. Hmm. I did read something. I haven't seen the film yet, but apparently you, you, you flip between kind of steady calm and shaky calm oh. and very still. No, thank you. And all that was done in post, so they shot it with a camera that has a large amount of space around like the safe area where they're filming so that they could put a shaky cam in post rather than having to film it shaky cam. And he was making the choices as to what sort of shot to use. I can't even remember shaky cam exactly being Exactly what film. I was about to say. If, if there is, it's in the right yeah, place and yeah. use the right amount. Fincher is a very, very deliberate filmmaker. You know what I mean? His mm. camera moves mean something. His framing means something. The start of the film could be like Hitchcock's rear window. Mm-hmm. It's like a guy watching a scene again and very again. Very much and felt like that at the beginning. You know, yeah. Through like extremely intimate scenes, a conversation with someone who's going to get killed in a restaurant or mm-hmm. a fight in someone's house. It's And it's not like a huge action film either. There's um, few sequences which are very well put together. Mm. But I, I just thought it was interesting that we're now at a point where we can do all those kind of directorial choices mm. in post and rather than having to make decisions mm. on but the day. should we? If I was a director, I'd be worried about that. Good thing I'm not one. Well, from the anti-James Bond to the actual James <laughs> yes. Bond. Peter, what have you got? Yeah, so Andy's going to love this. Because <laughs> I've been watching the new reality show on Amazon Prime Video called 07 Road to a Million. I'm not going to interrupt you like Kanye West. Uh, I'm not going to spoil her. But the Guardian review of this is hilarious. So you've got something to li- live up to. <laughs> right, okay. So this came about because Amazon recently bought MGM after years of financial problems and therefore now have a part share in the Bond movies. I believe there are plans in the works for some sort of young Bond TV show? Possibly, yeah. I think the only thing that they've said are Bond films will remain big cinema Mm -hmm. experiences and will not be popping up on Amazon Prime spin-offs and so on I, yeah. I think fair game okay. oh well i for one i'm very excited for james bond the earlier starring timothy chalamet <laughs> <laughs> wasn't there a james bond junior series of books that's was, quite well yes. respected Ch- charlie higson maybe isn't there a snes game or something there's a cartoon charlie higson has written yeah. a, a quite it's like oh, he did like silverfin and a few mm. others didn't he as mm. young but bond they're, they're quite well regarded aren't they as these things go but I believe the movies are not really doing anything at the moment. They haven't started. Yeah, in the next exactly. One. They, they confirmed that in the last uh, couple of weeks, I think. So while they work on that, we have this attempt to try and keep the series fresh in people's minds without cheapening the brand. The show is basically Treasure Hunt, but without Annika Rice in a jumpsuit. Oh. <laughs> and in this case, it's linked by Succession's Brian Cox, who plays this sort of evil mastermind behind the challenges. So we have eight or so pairs of contestants who first have to solve physical challenges. For the first round, they may perhaps have to climb a small mountain in Scotland or trek a few miles across open country, then recover a waterproof box floating in a small cove. This contains a suitcase containing a question with three possible answers. Get it wrong, and it's time to go home. Get it correct, and you win, well, £5,000 at first, and go on to a series of ever more exotic locations and bigger challenges around the world with the prize money rapidly increasing per question until you reach a possible million quid. Was Tarrant involved? No. <laughs> you can't fold a friend. You're in the middle of a Scottish lock or some, up to your arse in water. <laughs> in the first episode, we meet two pairs of contestants, the Bone Brothers, two Cockney-accented geezers who's surprisingly fun to watch, and no more than you might expect from their accents, <laughs> and a pair of Asian sisters who aren't really cut out for cross-country jaunts. 
What do you assume about them based on their accent? Yes, <laughs> dangerous territory. No, it's more how they react to falling in a big puddle of water. I think we'll keep adding more people to follow and eliminating some in each episode. The first episode is actually pretty fun, and I hope we aren't just meeting the best two teams. Apparently Brian Cox thought he was saying yes to appearing in a new Bond film when he said yes to the series. <laughs> By the way, one of the Bone brothers is actually called James, so he's called James Bone. <laughs> I was going to ask, do all Bone the contestants have like James Bond pun names? And apparently they do. Oh, they should have code names really, shouldn't they? No, they're, they're trying to emphasise the reality of the people. And, and the show actually works, not because of the, the Bond link. It's actually because it's kind of fun to see what happens to these people and i think over time you will probably quite enjoy some of the characters and then they take them and put them in you know some hugely glamorous place and probably give them a box to find <laughs> or some of the such similarly challenging so things. it's the the same contestants across the series i think so that you only really see two of them in any detail in the first episode i suspect they're going to keep introducing characters and losing characters mm-hmm. per episode until we get to the end do you think they're going to put them in a casino and beat the shit out of them? <laughs> I would like that. That yeah, would be good. Too. Yeah, Probably not. Do you think they're going to give them a virus so they can never see their daughter again? And <laughs> just yeah. blow them up on an island? They give them a million pounds but kill them at the end. Yeah. That would be good. At any point, does a testicle get lasered off? <laughs> no. The bollocks remain intact, I believe. John, do you want to give the highlights of the Guardian review? I'll, I'll just read the opening hmm. lines yeah. of the Guardian review. Brian Cox is so bad it could ruin succession for you. <laughs> this desperate bomb-themed reality show is shoddy, boring and soulless, and the one-time Logan Roy is so hammy you'll never be able to re-watch the HBO epic again. I think he's not hammy enough. I want him to be more hammy. I think he should have more snarky lines about how they're doing and taking the piss out of them. I think that would be a more mm. entertaining show, actually, to be honest. Is he basically doing Alan Cumming in The Traitor? kind of role. No, because he doesn't really interact with them mm-hmm. in the same way as Alan Cumming does. Have they hired Brian Cox when really they should be hiring Claudia Winkleman? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, he was one of the reasons I watched it. Mm. So it kind of passed that test. They have him ask the questions when they open the suitcases up, but I know for a fact that that was post done. Yeah. And they heard, they heard some production assistant read the question yeah. or they read it off the screen. Yeah, I'm going to guess they got him for a day in that studio. Feels a bit like it, yeah. And he's, he sort of said, oh, yeah, I was almost got there by false pretenses and said, but everyone's really lovely and it's a really <laughs> nice show and you should watch it, <laughs> which is quite amusing. I can see why they did it in terms of trying to find ways of using the license. Mm-hmm. As a cash grab. To some extent. It's what I want in any TV show. Is it a very expensive looking show? They start in Scotland for the first two challenges. So they drop in a little bit of someone walking across a hugely glamorous bridge in some foreign country mm-hmm. just because they didn't want to set it all in Scotland. Yeah. They do go to Venice in the end. Brian Cox was there on the Vols pretense. Imagine applying for the show, going, yes, you'll get to travel the world, and then you get to the arse into Scotland. <laughs> well, if you're out in the first round, yeah, yeah. it's Hootsmon for you. Do they have to sing the theme tune? That'd be great. No. <laughs> did, did they ever get Judy Dench killed? <laughs> no. There's nothing about this I want to watch. I keep suggesting things and it's just Do the Do the female contestants just sleep with the male contestants <laughs> and they disappear never to be spoken of again? Only if they already were. <laughs> well, put it this way. So I like Bond stuff as a kid. I'm perhaps less enamoured of it now. I think maybe Mission Impossible has been doing a better job of it of late. Judith enjoyed it more than I expected, my wife. So it pa- kind of passes that test. How many episodes have you seen? Uh, only the first one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it could it could go uphill, it could go downhill. It could get in a helicopter and fly away. Do the contestants like cover their feelings by having alcoholism? 
Has anyone got an out of ten? How many code names out of ten? Ask me that one. How many 007s out of seven? Ask me the question I gave you. How many code names out of ten? 007. <laughs> it was, it was oh. right there. I, I should have seen that coming. The Guardian concludes with, uh, for desperate eyes only, for everyone else, <laughs> I would remind you that this is eight hours long and you are not going to live twice. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Nice. <laughs> It looks like the producers have tied a cravat around a ham and offered it a lot of money to sit in a dream <laughs> cupboard for a couple of days to record a load of voiceovers. Oh, that's fantastic. Andy, what have you got? I'd like to recommend Anatomy of a Fall. This is a feature film which won the top prize at this year's Cannes Film Festival. I assume it's about popular 80s Manchester band with Marky Smith. That's gone right over my head. <laughs> I got it. Currently in cinemas now, if you want to watch it. I should note that, as well as winning the Palm Door, it also took home the Palm Dog for best canine performance from Messi, the husky, in the role of Snoopy. Oh. He's a very good doggy. This mm-hmm. is a real award. Um, our setting is a chalet in the snowy French Alps, where successful German novelist Sandra lives with her French husband Samuel and their visually impaired son Daniel. One morning, Daniel takes his guide dog Snoop for a walk, but when he returns, <laughs> Snoop dog. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Mm. When he returns, he's got a bag of weed for no reason. <laughs> this is only a minor plot point. <laughs> minor plot point. <laughs> Very nice. No, he discovers his father's body lying in front of the house, seemingly having fallen from a top floor window. The authorities are called and begin to investigate what happened and suspicion falls on Sandra. We follow first the investigation and then a trial as Sandra and Samuel's relationship comes under microscopic scrutiny and Daniel becomes a key witness. So this is a family drama wrapped up in a crime procedural story. It is told in a quiet, realistic and unsensational manner, but still manages to be gripping and emotional. It's driven by some outstanding performances, most notably from Sandra Hula as Sandra and Milo Machado Grainer as 11-year-old Daniel, a child performance that is actually good and not just good for a child. They are both totally believable and sympathetic yet nuanced. There's real depth to these characters. Uh, the crime aspect of the story unfolds throughout the film, so you don't know what happened and you glean information as the trial goes on. It's not really the point to be a mystery story, though. However, you do still get sucked into the question of did he fall or was he pushed? As a whodunit, it's pretty straightforward without any contrived twisty-turny bits, but it keeps you engaged by simultaneously revealing more and more about Sandra's marriage and the family's history. Uh, so it ties the trial into the actual family drama. This is done masterfully during the trial as an absolute dick of a prosecuting lawyer tries to paint Sandra as a devious, manipulative harlot who cuckolded and controlled her poor husband before lashing out at him in a fit of rage. I say both lawyers don't come up well. Fucking lawyers. I know. <laughs> They're the worst. <laughs> they really are. What, what are they even for? <laughs> Gender roles become an interesting theme in the story uh, as impotent masculine rage about a woman's audacity at daring to succeed where her husband fails forms a large part of the case. It's a longish film at two and a half hours, but unlike Killers of the Flower Moon, it never feels like a burden and it's well paced throughout. <laughs> sly dig there. Not so sly. Uh, don't let the length put you off, nor the subtitles, for this is a French film, of course. Quel surprise. It's actually probably only about 50% subtitled. Sandra usually speaks English. She's German. Yeah, so yeah. English is their kind of uh, common language between the two of them. I'll offer a very slight warning for anyone sensitive to animal suffering. Something bad does happen to the dog, but it is absolutely okay in the end and there's nothing graphic. Don't worry. That was important to me because I went on doesthedogdie.com and if I hadn't known that the dog was okay, I might have walked out. Yeah. 
Does the dog do it? <laughs> You'll have to go see it to find out. But yes. Does Snoop Dogg do it? <laughs> no, Snoop Dogg is a good boy. Okay. I thought this was brilliant. A really, really compelling film. I love a courtroom drama. It's a family drama where you learn about the dynamics between the two parents and their relationship with their son, but it all comes out through the trial. It's, mm. it, it's brilliantly, brilliantly done. I've heard nothing but good things about mm-hmm. it. Mm. It's great. Mm. I, I will. Is it, it's cinemas only at the moment, is it? Yeah. A trip. Probably not to my local Odeon. You know these real cases which come under the microscope in like the new sort of documentary age it sounds like it takes some of those tropes and dramatizes them a little bit because with that your relationship and your lifestyle gets analyzed to such a degree that it wouldn't do under normal circumstances but everything that you ever said to your partner or everything you've ever done gets twisted for one side and then gets twisted in the other way for the other side that's just a normal relationship that's not normal yeah the trial is uh so much uh built on speculation and extrapolation yeah. you, you said this eight years ago and therefore you must have been feeling this and therefore you must still be yeah. feeling this and therefore you must have done this and yeah because it's so circumstantial the um the the case so they've got to try and interpret things um, that led up to it, uh, which is very interesting. There is one, I guess it's a flash. well, it is a flashback because the husband's in it, a core argument that they have the day before he died, which is some of the best acting I have ever seen mm. in my life. Um, it was so intense, but also so real, so real. Um, and so many like key themes get brought out of it, like, uh, you know, he's, deeply uncomfortable with his wife's success. So I, I mean, I like a courtroom drama, but sometimes they can become a bit dry and talky. This is a French court, though, which is ah. very different. I've come to see. <laughs> it's, it's very, very interesting. Yeah. So that's not a problem. That, that doesn't become an issue. No. The setting of the, the French court is circular. So you've got all of that kind of the jurors and uh, the judges kind of sitting in a semicircle. And the accused, so Sandra, is constantly being referred to, but also she answers, for example, in like UK and uh, I think US courts, it's uh, very uncommon for the accused to testify. Yeah. Whereas here she is kind of asked her take on pretty much every witness. Hmm. It's really interesting. I just clicked the name is probably a play on the, is it the Otto Preminger film from the Anatomy of a Murder, murder, yeah, which is a a similar kind of courtroom drama where you hear things from from different angles. Mm. It also reminded me of the Doctor Who used to have a stunt coordinator called Stuart Fell, which I always thought was very (laughs) amusing. So how many French accidents involving gravity out of (laughs) ten would you give this? I'd give it uh, wheat. Oh. <laughs> that's eight right yes yeah. give it eight out of ten it's a really really strong film yeah. and um yeah two and a half hours long but gripping throughout i'd go nuff and eighth is also what the dog smokes daily don't understand that reference <laughs> it's a, it's a reference. Is it? yes what don't do drugs kids <laughs> elon musk when he bought twitter he offered some amount per share that was drug slang and that's why he offered that amount, because he thought he was funny. 
And he had no intention of paying it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 420 is a That's drug a, yeah. slang thing. Yes. Something about kids getting out of school and uh, 20 past four being the time when they could start smoking the spliffs and ah. so on. So Ellen Musk fell out of a window. <laughs> and we can hope. <laughs> but he's made of rubber, so he just bounced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you seen we're getting the Elon Musk biopic? When you say we're getting, I am, am avoiding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's um, it is existing. It is Darren Aronofsky. It is, is yeah. Oh, yeah. Which would be interesting because you know he, he he doesn't do unvarnished, straightforward biopic. Is it official or is it? It's in development by A24, and Aronofsky's attached to direct. But if you imagine like the wrestler, mm-hmm. so we might get ninety minutes of Elon Musk just being. Punched. Think um, uh, by Zuckerberg. He, but he, did, <laughs> yeah. he did threaten to wrestle someone, didn't he? They were, they, were, they were going to have a boxing match at one point. And he now. said he turned up to Mark Zuckerberg's house. He wasn't in, and therefore called him a coward. <laughs> yeah. And apparently, Mark Zuckerberg then said, uh, "Oh, I was going to do, it, but my mum wouldn't let me." <laughs> <laughs> That's a great answer. I mean, these yeah. are billionaires, grown billionaires. I sometimes think reality is clearly broken because, like, Elon Musk means like Elon smell. Donald Trump means Donald fart. Boris Johnson means <laughs> Boris dick. It's just like, like if I'd named these things in a script, people would go, "That's a bit yeah. on the nose." <laughs> it probably is proof we live in a simulation created by a fourteen-year-old boy. Where's the cheat code, <laughs> please? Right, John, have you got a marvellous recommendation for us? Do do we have to? Yes, let's do it. Oh, God, I've forgotten about that. Or or did I just try to put it out of my mind? Mm, Okay, so I think three of us have seen this film so far. Uh, It is the latest Marvel movie, The Marvels. It is a sequel to uh, Miss Marvel. It's a sequel to... Captain Marvel? Captain Marvel. It's kind of a sequel to Secret Wars. It, uh, I mean, every Marvel thing is kind of a sequel to yeah. it. Yeah, a little, bit of, a little bit of wonder in there. So basically, we have Captain Marvel, played by <laughs> Alison Brie. My no. Favorite. No? <laughs> Brie, Brie Larson. Brie Larson. <laughs> you can tell how much, yeah, we have Captain Marvel, played by Brie Larson. We have Ms. Marvel, played by Iman Villani as Ms. Marvel, who was seen in the TV series, who is a 16-year-old girl who idolises Captain Marvel and has powers of her own. And we have Captain Rambo, who is Sylvester Stallone. Yes. <laughs> I should point out, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's spelled different. <laughs> uh, who was a child in the last... Captain Marvel film and it's now an adult because timey-wimey stuff happened. But also the Captain Marvel set in the 90s. So yeah, so but, well, timey-wimey <laughs> stuff, meaning time. Um, <laughs> linear, the linear progression of time. Natural yeah. aging. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Except Captain Marvel hasn't aged and is the same age as she yes, was. Yes, because she's super. Super. So, super. Sure. And we also have Zowie Ashton playing a evil villain who locates a bracelet on the moon and wants to get some kind of revenge on Captain Marvel. And as a result of all of this, these three heroes find their superpowers swapping and they have to come together. And I don't don't give a shit. (laughs) Honestly. It's kind of like Freaky Friday for Freaky Friday threesome. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably more fun than than the movie is. It it sounds a fun concept. Like every time they use their powers, they swap. They they switch over, yeah. They have some fun with the locations that they're in at the moment. They're all kind of fighting something. But it's not quite executed in as fun a way as you'd hope. It's just Mm. confusing. So I was looking forward to this because... I've liked the first Captain Marvel. Um, I like the TV series. Mm-hmm. 
to an extent. I, I don't mean this in, in, in a disregard to the culture, but it felt at some points in the TV series where we were getting like 45 minutes of the history of the culture and the, the, the things that are very important, but it felt like it stopped being a superhero show. Um, but overall, I really enjoyed it. And I, th- I think the, the actor that plays Miss Marvel is great. Yes. And I really like Nia DaCosta, who is the director who did the Candyman remake, which, mm. whilst it was not as good as the original Candyman, was much better than it had any right to be and was a very stylish and interesting. But there's been some talk about reshoots and re-edits and how involved the director was, and I was actually... I was at Glastonbury. I may mention this occasionally. <laughs> no. <laughs> View there's like a little mini film festival within Glastonbury, and they had Helen O'Hara interviewing Nia DeCostas. And we came out of that going, This is a bit weird because she was being diplomatic, but you could tell when she was talking about the film, even back then, that it felt like it wasn't her film. I think she said mm-hmm. something like along the lines of it's, it's Kevin Feige's film, not my film. Mm-hmm. And then you've read recently, like she went back to London and started working on another film whilst it was still in, in post production. And it kind of all, you can see all this because it's just a mess. It is. Yeah. It, it, it feels like there's been so many cooks involved yeah. in the post-production side of it. They've tried to sellotape it together. Mm. They probably filmed like three, four times as much maybe. Yeah. And there was other sorts of ideas in there. And now there is a mixture of many other people's ideas but no linear storyline that makes you care. Mm-hmm. Like that—that that was my issue. Like I feel like the producers behind it don't care. I'm sure they do, but they didn't feel like that to me, and therefore I struggled. Yeah, but, I mean, there's been very little promotion for it compared to. I know there's been the actors' strike and so on, but it feels like it's just been pushed out. And mm. it, I think it'll be on, you know, Disney in yeah. a few weeks. There was genuinely there was bits in the first half an hour where we were like have the film skipped scenes as a, have we missed a bit because it just made no sense i read something where they were saying and it was to do with some people coming in having watched all the series before and some people not having mm-hmm. and they almost wanted everyone to come in the same way by not knowing everything no, 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 this but, may just be an excuse retrofitted of course but. no it, it, it wasn't you got a very nice little semi-animated sequence at the beginning which kind of brought you up to date with miss marvel which i i, I quite enjoyed and you i got, fucking hated that <laughs> <laughs> sorry continue but in terms of setting up the overriding plot with the Cree and the scroll and uh. why the Cree would and zowie ashton was doing what she was doing it was just so all over the place and chopped up and you, you just had no idea what was going on. And, oh, they go to a planet where everybody sings. Mm. And it's the most painful. That could have been fun. Could have been, yeah. It yeah. felt like we're going to do something a little bit crazy and out there, but then didn't have the balls to go through with it. Mm. Ian, you have opinions or have a stance on the whole Cree Skulls thing. How does this sound to you? Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> So, Skrulls are bastards and should be bastards. The Kree are mm-hmm. also bastards and should be bastards. They are giant intergalactic space bastards doing bastardy things. Mm-hmm. And some of the MCU stuff has given us nice Skrulls first and has just kind of ignored it. The Marvel Universe should be on the verge of destruction every three seconds. I mean, that's just kind mm-hmm. of how it is. And in, you know, in big intergalactic wars... Well, they're trying to destroy it, it seems. <laughs> From within. <laughs> yeah, big intergalactic wars are things that should happen. And it, I didn't know this was going to feature that as, a, like, the Kree-Skrull uh, war as a plot point. 
Yeah. And it sounds like it sort of half does. But yeah. It, 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 it's a it's minor a, point. It's a big, well, it's a big set piece. Mm. And then things happen and then it gets never mentioned again. Mm. This is a film that feels like instead of a script, the producers came up with uh, a checklist of stuff they want in it. Mm. And then they just, we'll have this and we'll have that and then just glue it all together. It all feels mm. utterly perfunctory. Uh, nothing has any weight, any heft, any meaning. They definitely want to go kind of light comedy route, I think, and that's not... They very much do. But then, you know, you've also got the, the stuff with the squirrels that... Yeah, isn't so light and comedy or shouldn't be. Mm. Um, it's, I mean, the whole thing is wrong, but maybe the wrongest bit is the very beginning where they just leap into doing the stuff. It, it's all mm. plot, no story. They don't introduce the characters. They don't set them up. They don't get you to care about stuff. They just jump right into yeah. the okay now we're doing this thing and then there's this thing and it happens and there's stuff and get mm. marvel's normally quite good at at least starting you off with something to understand the characters and what the whole point of it all is on a yeah. personal level even if sometimes they forget that towards the end they didn't even begin that way in this this was mm. very much a tell don't show approach and there are pieces in the film that if they focus on them, it would have had more heart. For example, the reunion between Captain Rambo and Captain Marvel, who have not mm -hmm. seen each other for, I don't know, 20 years since, since mm. she was a, a child. It, it wasn't clear why it was awkward and then they just had a hug and it was okay. Well, it was this feeling of um, yeah. abandonment because mm. Captain Marvel's been off the grid for um, you know, decades. And the hurt and anger that Captain Rambo supposedly would, would feel, she told us a little bit that she was a bit annoyed. Mm. The heart of that, could have been a really strong point in the film, but it was just a tell, don't show, and glossed over for the sake of yeah. CGI. Yeah, that should or could have been a, a large story thread in, mm. in the film, but instead it was just a, a point to check off, check off the list. Okay, they've, they've said that bit, tick, on yeah. the next thing. Also the thing about kind of Miss Marvel idolising Captain Marvel, and then yeah. Captain Marvel not being the perfect hero that she thought yeah. she would, yeah, that and that's would an nice. that would have been interesting that was that, interesting but again it's it's so perfunctorily dealt with in a couple of lines yeah. and then it's all okay it's not mm. a story thread it's just a, a comment there's just a bit where there's a bit of a hint of oh don't meet your heroes and and, yeah. Then, yeah. and then it's gone and it just doesn't mean anything for the sake of balance, I will say that our Dan did enjoy it. So um, mm. he did put something in the sectioned. thread that I would want to highlight. <laughs> he says, we didn't all hate it. My expectations for this one were low, but I had a lot of fun. Iman Vellani was the highlight, but there was also some very good cat content, which I agree with. And the final scenes made me excited for what's next. It's mid-level Marvel, but I liked it more than any of their 2022 films. I had a good time at the movies. I'm pleased with Dan. I'm glad he had a good time. Balance is important. So can can I go and see the one he saw instead of the one he <laughs> saw? <laughs> yeah. mm. I would say this is probably one of their worst yeah. films. Oh, really? It's right down there with Guardians 2. Mm. Well, I thought Ooh. they were coming back again this time, but no. Also, I thought Nick Fiore was terrible in it. He phoned it in. He, he yeah. did, and he didn't need to be there. He was just there to have Nick Fury in it because he was in the first Captain Marvel. And it was so weird to have this as ostensibly a follow-on to Secret Wars, which, whatever you thought Surely of it... Secret Invasion. Secret Invasion. Secret Invasion. Secret Wars yeah. is a way cooler thing. So, yeah, ha yeah. having it as a follow-on to Secret Invasion, where whatever you thought of it, you left Nick Fiora's character in a particularly yeah, emotional he, he place. He went through some bad shit you would not 
know at all yeah. from Captain. It's just film. back to wisecracking comic relief almost, isn't it? And yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it's just. I wonder whether you know they didn't even know what order they were going to come out in. Or it's it's entirely possible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we've got Echo next out of Marvel, which is mm. going to be dropping on Disney Plus. It's mature rated, I believe. Like yeah. It's going to be kind of the noir, crimey mm-hmm. side of Marvel. You know, that's one take on the character that definitely fits. Daredevil stopped filming due to the uh, actors and writers' strikes, but it's like kind of Was stalled. It just for that. They yeah. They've got a new writing staff. Yeah. You never know, of course. No one really knows, but it does sound like it was a show that was on a calendar as opposed to a show that they had like a clear idea for. Mm. And translating the semi-Netflix shows to Disney Plus, we'll see what Echo does. You know, I mean, mm. that could be quite tonally uh, in a similar. I've place. heard that they're trying to take Daredevil back to the tone of the Netflix show, and the problem with they'd made a procedural legal drama thing. Apparently, uh, the, the rumours was you didn't actually see Daredevil yeah, until episode four. I mean, yeah. Like, a more TV-ish kind of lawyer-by-day, hero-by-night thing mm-hmm. sounds actually great to me. So yeah, I kind of want She-Hulk to be like that. And the procedural stuff, I thought, in that context would have been quite fun. But Daredevil mm. isn't that thing, is he? It can be. It can be, yeah. Mm. It's, so being a comics nerd, you know, I'm still bowled over by, like, the wealth and amount of sort of comics content. And I'm not bored of that, and I'm never going to be, because... I'm mentally deficient that way. Um, but, you know, I, I will always give it a chance. I'll always be here for it. But you only get, like, one particular slice of, you know, very long-running mm. stories in kind of a TV or movie version. So this is why I don't have as much of a problem as some people do with DC. We've got the Marvel Cinematic Universe where everything's connected and you end up as a result of everything being a similar tone and a similar look and a similar sheen. And you get, like, as Ian says, one slice of it, whereas the comics are much more varied and contradictory. So I don't have a problem with, for example, having four different Batman at once mm. if it means we get to see different styles or tones of what a Batman film could and be. And if it's good, you kind yeah. of don't mind. That's this the is, key. Yeah, quality is <laughs> quality is the thing. It's kind of weird. We all, there was a big variety article about like the problems with Marvel and like they'd had their annual retreat and it was pretty downbeat and shows being cancelled, not like happy with mm-hmm. what they are. And the variety article was going into, you know, so they're considering bringing back the big stars of the original thing and so on. And they just never mentioned the quality of the product. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's a thing I find with like Netflix, you know, it goes, hey, do you want to watch more of this? It's like, well, I want to watch kind of this, but better. Yeah. Can you, can you do <laughs> that, Why don't they put a button for that? Yeah, yeah. Just, just better, you know. It's tricky. I mean, we've seen a thing I never thought would happen, you know, as in this kind of like 10 year reign of Marvel has been mm-hmm. insane. And still, it's batted a pretty sort of high average. It's in its trickier phase, and I'm, I'm not counting out yet. Next but Godzilla's year. next, so, you know, <laughs> Atomic Godman still Lizard <laughs> content is going to save cinema. Yeah. So. <laughs> do we want a score? I mean, do you want a score? Uh, do you think you'd have enjoyed it more if you didn't hate women? Wow. How many cosmically entangled powers out of ten Four. Oh. Harsh. Ah. I'm a four as well, and I feel generous to say that. Jeebus. That is all for this episode of Nerdfest. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in your ear holes, same time, same place, in two weeks' time. Until then, how many days, Ian? Uh, five. Five. I think it's five. You can also uh, subscribe and you can also keep up with us on social media. We are at Nerdfest UK. 
And for those who go the extra mile and leave us a review, you'll get this as well. John? Yes, I will give you special access to our online Twitter account and Facebook Messenger account, where Ian will give you a minute-by-minute countdown until giant moth and a dinosaur punch each other. I mean, I'll do that anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time, you've been listening to... A man has just sent his dog to buy some weed. (laughs) A man who in the 1954 revolutionised cinema forever. (laughs) (laughs) A man who insists there's at least a million dollar prize next time he plays in a pub quiz with John. A man who looks forward to the Oscars introducing an award for best supporting cat. Yes. (laughs) And a woman who's started growing her fingernails and now they're really getting out of hand. It's a solution for that. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. John Farthing. Did that again. You talked about half volume there when you say your name. I don't John. know. Are you, are you embarrassed with your name? No, it's just everybody knows my name. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm you like Sam Malone. knows your name. John Farthing. Okay. Can you do your name again without <laughs> going... John <laughs> Farthing. <laughs> John Farthing. John Farthing. John Farthing. Louder. John Farthing. Sensibler. John Farthing. Welsh. Uh, Okay, I'll take one for an earlier episode.